This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. The 2023 IndyCar schedule is out, and it should look very familiar. We'll break it down and answer the most common questions. Who will be driving in those races is still TBD. And more questions have arisen now with Jimmy Johnson's stated intentions, which don't exactly state his intentions. And with that, there could be two doing the double on Memorial Day weekend. There are Indy Lights topics to discuss, and we've got one more race that has plenty of IndyCar connections with Petit Le Mans coming up this Saturday. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Josh Molinix is in our headquarters on Monument Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, you can join in anytime at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. As we roll through the offseason, I'll get into this a little bit more about the IndyCar connections, but I'll just do a, a quick mention for those that are already going through offseason withdrawal. IMSA races, especially the endurance races, have a lot of IndyCar flavor. There are five active drivers that are participating coming up this weekend and another half a dozen that have driven an IndyCar in recent years, several Indy Lights drivers. So a lot going on in the 10-hour Petit Le Mans season finale with the championship between two Acura cars. Elio Castroneves is on one of those. It's at noon on NBC, noon to three on NBC on Saturday. Then on Peacock, and it's actually on Peacock all day. And the final three and a half hours, I think 7 to 10.30 are on USA. There's also a chance some in the afternoon is on USA. Everything is a bit TBD because of Hurricane Ian. We're hoping things work out okay. Uh, But there's a better chance of Road Atlanta uh, going on with some rain than there is NASCAR at Talladega. So if if there's a rain delay at Talladega for the Xfinity race on Saturday or their practices in qualifying, they may bounce over and pick up some bonus IMSA coverage. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, Kurt, let's start with the IndyCar schedule. We've said it all along. We didn't expect any surprises, and it is what we thought it was going to be. What are some of the highlights? Because there's still always going to be a few different changes and a few things that I think are worth noting. Well, there is some adjustment to the front half of the schedule as I look at it. In fact, many of the dates kind of, you know, they're kind of in the same order, but they've kind of been moved around a little bit. You know, St. Pete goes a little bit later back into the March time slot. Uh, That's, you know, I think kind of a more natural place. I probably ideally would have put it like March 12th or March 19th, but March 5th is where it settles in. It will be a full month before IndyCar's second race goes to Texas Motor Speedway. And then it kind of gets into a nice rhythm for the spring with a week off between Texas and Long Beach, then a week off between Long Beach and Barber, a week off between Barber and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course race on May the 13th. So the dates, April 2nd for Texas, April 16th for Long Beach, April 30th for Barber. You know, so really the spring, I think, has a really kind of a nice cadence to it. If you can, you know, get past maybe a long break between the first two races, then the May schedule is, is, is you know, cool. I'm ready for May already, and it's only, you know, September. But uh, May will be kind of as we've known it here in Indianapolis, the GMR Grand Prix road course race on May the 13th on a Saturday the next weekend, the Indianapolis uh, 500 qualifying, followed by the 500 itself on on May the 28th, the 107th running 
so we know kind of a May routine and, and that will continue. Then really in June, it, it looks very similar uh, to uh, this past year, this recently completed season, Detroit, Road America, Mid-Ohio, Toronto, a doubleheader again at Iowa, going back to Nashville, the IMS road course race, and then to finish the season, uh, Gateway, Portland, and Laguna Seca. I think what I would highlight for you is that it gets pretty, once it gets hot, it gets pretty heavy. Uh, mm -hmm. The last uh, nine weeks of the season, there will be eight races, two of them at Iowa on the same weekend, but seven of those nine weekends, there will be racing action uh, for the IndyCar series. So, you know, you're going to have to be, you know, kind of once you hit the 4th of July and you get a break uh, as the crews get a break after the 4th of July for a week, uh, then it's a sprint to the finish and you better be ready. Your crews better be lined up. You better have uh, some momentum on your side because there will be no, no real break. There is a couple weekends off, but as I said, eight races in nine weeks is a, is a puncher's flurry. And, uh, and so we'll see it, but overall, the schedule looks very similar to 2022 and 17 races on that schedule and NBC having most of the live coverage. So it's, it's going to be another interesting season for sure. 13 of the 17 are on NBC three on USA. There is still one exclusive on Peacock. That's the Toronto race. Uh, also, it was mentioned in the release that both days of Indy 500 qualifying would have NBC time, and I do not believe that was the case this year. S Saturday was all Peacock this year, right? So that's an addition of an extra window on NBC, which I think is very significant. Now, it, are all seven hours going to be on NBC? No, I'm sure they're not, but something is going to be on NBC on Saturday and on Sunday, so that stands out. I think what also stands out is they avoid the Sebring-Texas clash. And a lot of people are asking about the gap between St. Pete and Texas. That's one of the reasons, because you could potentially do two weeks after St. Pete, but then you're running head-to-head -head with Sebring, and I don't think that does the industry any good. That's that's not good. It, and it happened last this past year because there was no way around it. Uh, I, you know, I understand you had the opportunity for network television and there may have been more factors involved with that, but the fact that they can still be on network television on April 2nd and, and probably what also helped precipitate that is there is a truck race that weekend that NASCAR is not running their all-star race uh, at Texas in the spring. So they're running the truck race on the April 2nd weekend. I think it's on Saturday night, the first. So that makes it a, a, a more full weekend, but you avoid that. And, and again, like I said at the beginning, I know IMSA is not IndyCar, but if you're a hardcore IndyCar fan, IMSA, I think, fills the bill a little bit. You know, for one, it's the same voices that you're used to having. Uh, this weekend's broadcast, everyone that worked on IndyCar broadcasts is going to appear on this with the exception of Marty Snyder because somebody needs to stay at Talladega. And Parker Kligerman's actually driving in the uh, truck and the Xfinity race, so they need more hands on deck on Saturday. So Marty's going to stay there, but all the rest of us and some others are going to be involved in the IMSA race, and that's the same way Sebring will work in the spring, and you'll get a lot of IndyCar drivers in that. That helps the IndyCar drivers be able to be involved in more. Some of the teams have some carryover. 
avoiding Lamar, I think, is significant. Not running Lamar weekend. It's still not ideal because they really kind of need to be there Detroit weekend. But there are some concessions that can be made, and I think some fines that can be paid for missing the opening ceremonies of Lamar on Detroit weekend. But it, it's doable at, at this point. So from that standpoint, uh, once you get started, it seems like it has a pretty good flow. I think so, too. I think, you know, certainly the first maybe 70 percent, 60 to 70 percent of the of the season has a really nice flow to it. Uh, you know, IndyCar teams aren't NASCAR teams. They don't have, you know, this this uh, essentially a, a second group of people back at the shop working. And so a, a weekend off in between races, uh, particularly when you're going from one type of race to another, from a road course to an oval or a street race to an oval, I think that's important to have that little break uh, to turn the cars around. They can do it, but it's, it's certainly easier if if you don't do it. But as I mentioned, the the seven race weekends in nine race weekends or nine weekends at the end of the season will will certainly challenge some teams. And I think maybe the most difficult stretch of of the season is going to be after you run a a, a gateway oval track race on August 27th, you're going to have to haul the mail across the country, and in just a less than a few less than a week you're going to be on track for portland the penultimate race of the season and then you're going to turn around and go to laguna the the next weekend so you're going to go oval road course road course in you know less than three weeks and that's going to be uh that's going to be a tight turnaround going from the midwest to the west coast and and being on the road for that amount of time so i'll get to some of the twitter questions about the schedule and then just some of the other things that I've read today on the internet and I jotted down some notes and the schedule is always a bit polarizing. And I would say this, you know, when you see the IndyCar schedule release or any of the outlets that tweet it out, and then you slide over and read some of the comments, I would say don't, don't necessarily judge by the comments. Most people aren't going to post something unless you're in the industry or you're working for a team that says, Hey, the schedule's fine you know, you're going to post something because you're angry. You don't like it. It's not the way you'd like it to be, but also keep in mind if the person that has something they don't like got their wish, I suspect just as many or maybe more would be angry about that change. Um, you know, in some cases there's not enough change. People are, are disappointed that it's basically the same. The other side of that would be if there was a lot of change, then the comment and the criticism would be there's no stability. There's no data equity. The question or comment about too many gaps. And then you might get, well, there's too many in a row. There's not enough night races. There's not enough network races. We don't like streaming. We don't like the fact that there's not streaming. There's usually a reason why things are done the way they're done. And I'm going to guess in every criticism we have, Jay Fry and Mark Miles and the people in charge of the schedule, Michael Montre, have a pretty good answer. As to, eh, yeah, we we heard that and we thought about that, but here's why we couldn't do it. I'd love them all to be on network TV. We all would. Um, but what other sport, let's think about this, has 79% of their events on network television, Kurt? Yeah. I did the I math agree. today. 15 of the 19, when you include the two days of Indianapolis 500 qualifying, not even the NFL, I'm not sure anymore, has 79% of their events when you include Thursday night football is streaming only 
and Monday Night Football is on cable, although the ESPN cable package is still very, very good. I, I get that. But uh, other sports don't have practice sessions streamed, with the exception of motorsports. But even then, it's only Formula One, NASCAR, not all NASCAR practices are available on streaming at this point. Uh, and IndyCar is kind of the third. I'd love more night races. But if you want night races, then you're not going to have networks. You have to make the choice there. What's more important, being on at night or being on network television? I'd love more ovals. But an oval has to want IndyCar as well. And Penske and IndyCar can't promote them all. And that worked really well at Iowa. And that's a good start. And I think there's more optimism about that than we've had in recent years. I think we might see Milwaukee in 24. I think there's some other options down the pike, but you, you haven't seen the attendance work at ovals. It's getting better, but that's why you can't just snap your finger and say, I want more ovals. Let's have more ovals. I'd like more races, but the teams can't pay for more races. And there are three more tracks that are willing to pay over a million dollars to host your event. So that's where it is right now. And we'd like to have a longer schedule. Trust me, I get paid by the event. I'd love to see a longer schedule, but I'm not sure you want to go head to head with the NFL. Every other sport is trying to avoid the NFL and move their season forward. So if you want to do that, you can, but don't worry about TV ratings anymore because you're not going to get them and I'd like to avoid NASCAR. But as we've discussed, it might be simpler to just stay on NBC in some ways and even go head-to-head -head at times because it's easier to sell pre-event by saying you're on NBC and avoiding all the minutia of head-to-head -head competition, and then you worry about it after the fact. Um, you know, I do think you could get a better rating running even potentially tape delay after a NASCAR race on USA or USA at a different time, but that may not work out for the track. And it's hard to explain to sponsors when you're saying, really, it's a tape delayed race on cable. I'm not paying for that. Oh, you're telling me it's live at 3 PM on NBC. Yeah, I'm in for that. We'll be your primary sponsor for that race. So, you know, those are some of the, the basic thoughts that I have. It, it's never perfect. Uh, and it may sound like I'm an apologist, but trust me, I've had conversations about how the sausage is made and they all understand that they'd like to do some things differently, but you have to deal with what's available to you. Two points to that. One, the way this sausage is made is the most challenging thing that, that IndyCar will do this year is putting together a schedule and finalizing the details relative to dates and, and consistency and, and not overworking the teams and, and uh, keeping your audience in mind relative to things such as uh, NASCAR conflicts and, and NFL conflicts. So th that's a very challenging thing. Uh, the other thing I would say is Many of our listeners are, are app users, the IndyCar mobile app. And uh, in this particular case, the way we have to use the software involved, we have to list a time. You have to put a time. When you put the schedule together on the app, you list a time. So oh. when you see on the app a time, at this point, it's a placeholder for information to be learned it's it might be somewhat of a guess it might be actually very close to the time but but at this point those are placeholders so if you go to the app and you see it's a 230 start at portland that may or may not be the case okay because if, if we don't enter a time just again the way the software reads 
it'll put that at midnight, just the way the, <laughs> okay. so you got a midnight start. Well, that's not what you want. And when it does a midnight, it may or may not get the right date listed. It may mess up the, you know, it may mm-hmm. say, uh, show you that that's a Saturday race when in fact it's a Sunday race. So take, take the, uh, equation and understand that, uh, the dates and the times, the dates are accurate. The times are not yet. Uh, the other thing is, you know, relative to the times, there's still some massaging to do with NBC with understanding what the competition, uh, not just NASCAR, but other things on the properties to know exactly when those time slots will be. And so that will be a separate release uh, coming uh, here in the near future. Uh, But at least at this point, you kind of know the, you know, the location, you you know, you can tell your sponsor that you have 13 uh, of your race events and two Indianapolis 500 qualifying shows. You're right. We only had, we only had one NBC qualifying show in, in 2022. And, you know, so we'll have Saturday and Sunday coverage on big NBC. And and that's obviously a big thing too. seems like I had a fourth point, but, uh, but I think that'll be enough to chew on for now. Well, you think of it in a moment. So that will get us to our next question from Jake Bartles, Bartles 99. So 300,000 plus people have to get to IMS an hour earlier in all the traffic for some stock car driver. And that's alluding to some times that have been floated. Now the schedule that IndyCar put out and the partners have put out, doesn't list times it just has network affiliations but some have found those times and i did see 11 a.m listed for ims and my first assumption would be well that's the broadcast time that's when that starts 11 o'clock eastern time so that might be the time which still means it could be a 12 30 green flag like we've seen and like i talked about last week if they felt like they had to move it up 15 20 minutes to help accommodate a double for one, now maybe two drivers, that might be something that they felt was worthy of doing. I also had it pointed out to me that NBC has Premier League uh, activity and they may need later. And my first, I think I said last week, now they're starting the Indy 500 around the same time. But the more I think about it, I don't know. You know, the ratings were down last year. Maybe somebody has decided this is a big event and you've got a better chance of getting bigger numbers if you start the thing at one o'clock now that would preclude anyone doing the double. So that may have been a thought a month or two ago. And now the fact that you have two star drivers that have raised their hand and said, I want to do it, Kyle Busch and Jimmy Johnson, that might supersede that conversation. But if there's no one doing the double, maybe NBC and IMS and IndyCar say, eh, we'll move it back a little bit into the one or two range. I doubt it, but I just can't rule that out. But to his point, I highly doubt, I'll go this way, I highly doubt we are seeing an 11 a.m. green flag for the 500, although that's when it used to start, right? Well, I think it even started 10 o'clock local at, at one point. So Way back, yeah. Yeah, way back. So, no, I think you're you're right. It has been listed, and, and I would accept any preliminary time listed for the Indy 500 at 11 a.m. because that is a broadcast uh, start time. And we have used that as uh, the start for, for a lot of different purposes. Now, as we get closer to the event, uh, it, it will you know reflect more like green flag time so that you understand as a viewer that, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of reasons to have people turn it, tune in right at the start time of the broadcast. 
but there's also for some of the more casual fans, you don't really want them, you know, signing in at, at 11 AM. And then the race doesn't start till 90 minutes later. I mean, it's hard. It's difficult to keep everyone's attention that long. So you do want to, you know, offer them the ability to understand when does the race start? Uh, that's a, that's a good thing. And we try to do that, you know, in this show, sometimes we'll say, Hey, tune in right away because broadcast comes on at one o'clock for a particular race and we're going green second time by. So you better be buckled up and ready to go. And you're not going to want to miss, you know, the pre-race because it, it effectively doesn't exist. So, you know, we'll communicate all that information, but if you see 11 o'clock right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, get too, too excited one way or the other, but I guarantee you the broadcast is going to start on NBC at 11 o'clock whether or not the green flag doesn't come till 1215 or 1220 or 1230, uh, or even a different time is still to be determined. Tim Edwards at Timmy six rings says gateway. Now a Sunday afternoon, WTH many exclamation points, bad move. So I guess my question for Tim would be, what's the difference between Sunday afternoon and Saturday afternoon? Because it wasn't a night race. It, 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 wasn't Saturday night. It was Saturday afternoon. And the only way it was going to be Saturday night is if you had a rain delay. Now I do, I'd like a Saturday night race, but I'd also like the race to be on network television for all the sponsors. So you got to choose which one do you want? Because I just don't think that you're getting network television unless somebody wants to pay for it. I'm not willing to pay for it. You, anyone, Bueller? No, I think uh, it's a Rogers paid for a lot of things. I'm not sure that, that he needs to pay for that either. So that's the way it stands in unfortunate in, until the, the business is big enough. And you might say, well, some NASCAR races are on, on Saturday nights. Well, they have bigger audience. If we can grow that audience to get to that level, then I think you have a little more leverage to tell a network. Uh, we want a couple of night races on network TV. But until then, you don't really have the leverage to be able to do that. It somewhat depends on what the promoter wants, too. I mean, uh, I'm sure at Gateway, they would like to have, uh, I've talked to Chris Blair and the, and the gang at uh, Worldwide Technology in the past about this, but they'd like to have a Saturday night race, and they like the fireworks at night and so forth. But, you know, if you give them the choice between network television for promoting their facility and the St. Louis area, Hey, I'd, I'd probably take network television, uh, even if it meant rolling over into Sunday. So it just, you know, that's one of those discussions that you mentioned at the top or near the top is whatever you prescribe for this particular event or any of the others, there's going to be people on both sides. And there may be, uh, you know, Sunday is better television viewing. It just is, even in the summertime. And that's a good weekend to be on Sunday. I, this is maybe something we'll do in the next couple of weeks, just kind of look at head to heads, but I just thought I'd take a quick peek at that one. That's Daytona Saturday night weekend. The the Daytona race, the cup race is on Saturday night. So that means you've got motorsport to yourself on Sunday afternoon and it's before the NFL starts. Yes. Well, Sunday in some ways is better that time than Saturday, because by then you have college football playing on Saturday. Uh, but well, I, 
Do some do some college football games in August? Do they run some on Sunday? I don't think so. I think they're largely Saturday night games. I'd, I'd be so, I bet I bet there are a couple of games on Sunday. No, they're I not going to let a TV window go by. There's not um, going to be a there's not going to be a heavy influence of them. No, no, certainly. But that's a, a a big opening weekend. That's probably like the first full weekend for college football. And to avoid Saturday is probably a good thing. So, and this year they were on USA. So this seems like a win for uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway um, to be able to get on NBC and not go head-to-head with NASCAR. We'll, we'll look at some of the other conflicts and you know we'll try to solve the problems for everyone with our brilliant analysis of what time the race should start and where they should be and so forth. And I'm kidding with that. Paul at PK Dottie Mead says, as this year's finale was watched by only half a million viewers, do you think the season should start earlier and finish earlier? So the finale doesn't clash with the NFL. Yes, Paul, I do. But just me saying that doesn't mean it's easy to make it happen. I believe Mark Miles wishes it would start earlier and the other people in charge. But you've got to find races in the spring. They've been trying to do this. This is not a new conversation. This has been a decade working on trying to find venues that work financially and commercially in February, March, and April. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, back to your point early on was, you know, you bring in too many new venues and people like to see a new venue here and there. But, you know, I really like the the consistency that has developed. In fact, we do have a new venue on the circuit. It's Detroit. That's going to yeah. be a downtown street circuit yeah. race as compared to Belle Isle. And by the way, I've said this out loud a few times and I thought I would have never thought I'm going to miss Belle Isle. <laughs> it was pretty good racing is in its last few years. And, and uh, they had made some adjustments to like turn three and, and other places where, where that venue was, was really interesting to me. Maybe I just kind of got to know it better and it was resurfaced in some places. Breaking zones were, were leveled out and, and corners opened up to some degree and, and it just made for better racing. So I'm going to miss Belle Isle but they're going to race the downtown street circuit in Detroit. But, but to go back to road America, man, we wanted to go to road America for such a long time to be at mid Ohio, to see Toronto back on the schedule as, as it, as it is Portland and, and Laguna Seca as well. And then of course, Long Beach and Texas and, and St. Pete and Barber have become staples too. So there's a, there's a lot of continuity here and, and quite honestly, I think that's that's really healthy for the sport. And I think that outweighs all the other uh, possible discussion points that you want to have. I think continuity is number one, uh, along with network television. I'd still love, and, and I'm sure there's a reason for this too, to just push the season forward one more week. I would like the season to end on Portland weekend. But that it's already tight in the summertime anyway. So that one week changes things quite a bit. Uh, And not everybody can do a Labor Day weekend. Portland has been okay with that. So where are you going to have your championship race? How is that going to work? But that would still be something I'd be keeping an eye on or or trying to tweak um, because running your championship head-to-head with the NFL, especially NFL opening day weekend, is less than ideal. The thing that could make it much more palatable to me and it wouldn't be on network. So that's not ideal either. Cause we've talked about how a lot of people just see NBC versus USA 
And if it's USA, it's considered a big loss. But I would still love to see the championship race start at 6.30 Eastern time, 3.30 local, somewhere out west, and it runs right after a NASCAR cup race. Uh, so I haven't looked at the NASCAR schedule to see if anything like that is possible. If that happens, then I do think you can survive NFL opening day. But the way it is now, if, if you're going to start your race at 3 o'clock Eastern, you just have to understand we're taking a hit in ratings. Hopefully it can grow, but there is a ceiling of, frankly, under a million if you are running head-to-head with the NFL and head-to-head with NASCAR. If you can avoid NASCAR, uh, then I think you do have a chance of maybe with the right storylines and the right circumstances being able to beat a million. But, you know, moving it way up is going to be challenging until you find some new venues in the spring. Agreed. And and the good news is it sounds like there are some of those venues, I don't know about early in the spring, but there's some more venues that are being discussed, uh, thrown out there, at least for consideration. I don't see them as being spring venues, but but you know, maybe uh, there's some of these hopefuls that could uh, land on the schedule if if the right things come together. Um, we had a nice discussion, by the way, uh, today at, at uh, the Speedway, uh, talking about the, the lessons learned at Iowa and, and all the benefits that came out of, uh, you know, hosting a race at, at Iowa. And that's probably for another day's discussion. But but uh, these are things that, that were learned at Nashville and Iowa and I think they can be applied at some of these newer venues that are being, you know, discussed and and ideas pitched to investors in those markets. So, um, you know, whether it's Pittsburgh, which we've talked about, or or uh, others, you know, those those could be good ideas for those communities as well. We'll throw out some of those venues a little bit later on in the show if we have time tonight. By the way, Cup that Laguna Seca weekend next year is at Kansas Central Time Zone. Um, but it's already been announced as NBC. So that's obviously not in the cards for 2023. If you're on NBC, you're going to be on in the afternoon because football night in America starts at seven o'clock. So you're going head to head with the NFL. And that means that the Kansas race, I don't think they've uh, done network designations. So may, but Kansas is not starting at noon Eastern time from Kansas. So you're going to be head to head with the cup race again and head to head with the NFL. So hopefully the ratings go up in the other 16 events. That's probably not one of them. That's going to see a major increase, but it can do better than it did this year. We'll get into more things, including some of your comments uh, later on in the program. We've got a lot to talk about Jimmy Johnson's plans. What's this mean for a fourth chip Ganassi entry? What about Dale coin racing? How does it impact them? That and more coming up on trackside. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. So along with schedule news, we got news yesterday and a little bit more uh, intel today from Jimmy Johnson on his future plans. I don't know how you phrase it, Kurt. He's not retiring. He's already retired. He's, you know, as the graphic has said on the crawl and Sports Center and other things, he's retiring from full-time competition, but still listening to Jimmy Johnson speak, I think he's going to do a lot of race car driving again next year. It's just not going to be every IndyCar race. That's what we got confirmed. He's not going to do every IndyCar race in 2023, and those were one of the questions that we had remaining, and it will impact other people. Yeah, it does affect other people. But let's start with the actual news. 
And I don't think we're surprised. And yet I, I think I am a little bit surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because, you know, it didn't feel like, you know, he was making the progress on the road courses and the street circuits to to continue with that program at the expense of of getting to do some other things that he wants to do, whether that's Le Mans, whether that's a sprint car race, whatever it is he wants to try to do. Uh, it's going, you know, it doing those things would have to come at the expense of those street and road course races. So, you know, could you see him uh, in the Indy 500? Absolutely. Uh, could you see him then in preparation for the Indy 500 at Texas? I absolutely could. Uh, could you see him uh, running, you know, Iowa and Gateway? Maybe, maybe. I don't know that those are important, as important to him, but he might. Uh, so we don't really have a clear indication of what his plans are yet. It will be fascinating to watch the schedule come together. And, you know, look, I if he's going to run a sprint car race, as he kind of teased us with, with a photograph today, um, you know, or a midget race or, or what have you. I think that may have been more of a midget look. I didn't look at the photo closely enough, but I think it was a midget. But, you know, he's going to struggle at those things, <laughs> just as he did on a street circuit, because it's tough to jump in with regulars and, and perform at their level. But it'll be fascinating to watch, you know, to see what he does. So it was Alex Bowman, who uh, has a, a World of Outlaws sprint car, tweeted a picture of of Jimmy today and said, I'd like to announce Jimmy will be running the full World of Outlaw Sprint Car Tour in 23 for Alex Bowman Racing with Ally Racing. While slowing down in retirement, the 92 race schedule is exactly what he's been looking for. And then with a little nod to Alex Pillow, Oscar Piastri, uh, McLaren, Jimmy then tweeted, I understand that without my agreement, Alex Bowman has put out a tweet this afternoon that I am driving for him next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alex for 2023. I will not be driving for ABR next year. So there you go. So Jimmy Jimmy continues to entertain with his social media presence. I don't know if he does that all himself or he's got a staff that does that, but whatever. Somebody's doing a good job for Jimmy Johnson. So he was saying all summer, I'm planning on coming back. And I know I said... And let's let him have until the end of the season. Let's don't hold him to that at that point. And if he wanted to come back, fantastic. He's good for business. Uh, I know some people get tired of, of hearing him talked about, but it's still interesting. Now, with all that said, I don't think you heard Jimmy talked about a whole lot on the broadcast on the road course races. The newness had sort of worn off, and we talked about him. Well, unfortunately, we talked about him when he spun. But other than when he spun and we had to show him because it's the reason for the caution, there wasn't a lot of conversation because it just wasn't that new. That wasn't unique. Everyone super respected what he was doing, but it, it kind of is what it was. Now, the Oval's a different story. He was a factor on the Oval's. Uh, in a lot of ways, this makes perfect sense because while we all appreciate, and, and he said again today in this teleconference you know, I have different goals. When he was asked about how long he wants to drive, he said, well, I know Mario still want to race at 52, so there's time. But then also he said, this isn't really result-driven. I'm, I'm, Yes, I'm doing a second career, but it's not with the same goals that I had in mind when I got into NASCAR racing. It's about the experience. I take it seriously, but it's really just about having meaningful experiences. So there's a curve there, and that opens up the runway 
to continue doing some things. And mostly he's doing it when it's fun. And it looked like he was still having fun. But I think we all wondered when you have been a driver of his caliber and at his level, at some point, is that not quite as much fun anymore? So this idea makes fantastic sense. Pick and choose the races that you want to do the most and maybe the ones you have the best chance of being successful. By the way, he did not rule out doing more road and street course racing. He mentioned Long Beach again. He mentioned Road America. He said, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to Chip Ganassi. Uh, it's not definite that if he runs Indy carts with Chip Ganassi, but he said, that's my preference because that's where I know everybody. That's where I have the most comfort. You know, let's face it. If he wants to do the Indy 500, if you could choose a team right now, you want it to be Chip Ganassi racing. So I would hope for his sake that there, there's space there and whether, you know, so let, let's, well, let's just touch on the other events I think he would be interested in. He mentioned doing the Rolex, but not in the current program that he's in. And this is what I wondered about, because people speculated that he would still do the Rolex, but knowing a little bit about what's going on there, I don't think there's going to be a second Action Express car next year, uh, or at least there may not be, and there may not be room for Jimmy. And he said that today. Yeah, there's not any seat for me that I see available in the top class. So I would be looking at winning in class. I'd be looking at running a GTD. Or what I could really see him doing is an LMP2 program. The program that all the IndyCar drivers did last year for Dragon Speed, that was LMP2 with Colton Herta and Pato Award and Devlin DeFrancesco. There, your IndyCar experience is really going to pay a dividend. He could do that. He could do a GTD program. So there are a lot of options and more options available for Jimmy. In that sense, he wants to do the Garage 56 program with the NASCAR next-gen car. That's perfect for him. He would experience Le Mans, but he wouldn't be worried about where he finishes. They're in a one-car class. It's basically an experimental GTD type of car. So he and Jeff Gordon, and I think the third driver is going to be someone that has more sports car experience, like a Jordan Taylor. It's going to be somebody probably with with Chevy ties. I'm just throwing Jordan's name out there. He may not have an, he may have another opportunity in a competitive car, but it's going to be two NASCAR guys. It's not going to be anybody that's currently driving in NASCAR because they have a race that weekend. So Jimmy's going to be the number one draft choice, and I think Jeff, if if he's willing to do it, is going to be another option as well. Uh, and that's probably about it. Uh, and then the double. And I think commercially, the double is going to make a lot of sense for Carvana or someone else. He has an interest in doing North Wilkesboro because he's not raced there. Uh, I think he mentioned to Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press, that he's interested in the Chicago street race. So keep an eye on He said maybe no one's asked about it, but maybe the IMS double weekend. But then he kind of said, yeah, that might be kind of hard going back and forth on the same weekend on that kind of a track uh, that's the same track, but a very different car. Now, what's it mean for Ganassi? My thought all along has been either Jimmy's in that car full-time or it's not running full-time. It's an Indy 500 only entry, but here's a scenario, Kurt, where, and it depends on what Carvana is willing to do. So if Jimmy wants to have a chance to win the Indy 500, it's in his best interests that that 48 car runs full-time, runs all the races for the crew guys, the engineers, 
everyone else? Might they be willing to help subsidize someone else in that car for the other events? And that would allow him to pick and choose which events he does. He does the Indy 500. He does Texas. He does Iowa. He does Long Beach, something like that. Um, And then they're getting Linus Lundquist or someone else. Maybe it is Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, someone else to do the rest of the races, partially funded by Carvana. And that would be the incentive for Carvana because this car running all season makes it more likely that Jimmy is going to be a factor in the Indy 500. I think so. And I throw out another name if we want to get into names. Maybe we don't. Let's let's hold this sub- for another subject uh, after the break okay. because uh, there's there's more guys out there that have come to light. All right. We'll get into more on that. And we'll talk about what's coming up at uh, Road Atlanta this weekend and what the IndyCar connections are going to be and much more coming up. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. As mentioned, there is racing with a bit of an IndyCar flavor coming up this weekend on NBC, USA, and Peacock. The Michelin Pilot Challenge race is on Friday afternoon on Peacock, a little after 1 o'clock. Also, the qualifying for the WeatherTech IMSA Sports Car Championship on Peacock at 3.35 Noon, NBC, noon to three on Saturday. Peacock all day and exclusively, unless it's raining at Talladega, from three until seven. And then back on USA on Saturday night from seven until 1030. So the overall championship in DPI, depending on qualifying points, this could be the best finisher between the the 10 and the 60 Acura. Some names that IndyCar fans would be familiar with. Scott Dixon and Ryan Hunter Ray are joining Chip Ganassi Racing, which also includes Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, Brendan Hartley, remember him? He was, maybe we should throw him into the silly season names. He was supposed to be joining Ganassi a few years ago, got a, a Formula One drive, but he's a sports car ace. He's been added to the Wayne Taylor Racing squad in place, in some extent, of Alexander Rossi and Will Stevens. Jimmy Johnson will be there. In a second Action Express car this weekend, Elio is in the 60 car with Ollie Jarvis and Tom Blumquist, who is going to be testing an Indy car for Meyer Shank Racing at some point this fall. Christian Rasmussen, who won a couple of races in Indy Lights this year, a USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000 champion. His first sports car race in the number 18 Era Motorsports LMP2 car, Ryan Dial, is one of his teammates. Juan Pablo Montoya and his son Sebastian are still in the 81 Dragon Speed. Some Indy Lights drivers, Nolan Siegel, Kiffin Simpson, are going to be in this race. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood is in the number 14 Lexus, so all of that coming up this weekend so we look forward to that and hope you can join us and we hope the weather cooperates this weekend with the hurricane a couple of tweets nathan brown sends out a schedule for reference when we talk about the double tony stewart had a 545 gap between green flags and 01 made it with 25 minutes to spare uh after a three and a half hour indy 500 Kurt Busch had six hours with unchanged start times. Jimmy would have five and a half hours. So that's probably cutting a little bit close, but it is doable. Uh, Maybe they push it up a little bit. Eh, That's something to be watched as we move forward. 
And also, Clay Carter pointed out the XR SRX series is 100% on network TV. That is correct. I forgot about that. It's also a time buy, but you are correct that, uh, or time buy partnership, however you want to call it. It's a different type of arrangement. CBS is definitely a stakeholder in that, but that is true. All right, coming up, we'll talk more about what Kurt was getting into with other options for the 48, more silly season, more schedule conversation, all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, uh, Josh Molinix is in our studios in downtown Indianapolis. Next week, Tuesday again, we continue to roll through Tuesdays, I think through the month of October. I think I saw a Pacers preseason schedule and early start of the season, and there were no Tuesday games, so we should be Tuesday from 7 until 9. We are efforting an in-studio guest for next weekend's program, Um, so we'll see if we can get that settled and much more. We'll be able to talk about, oh, who knows what else is happening. So let's kind of finish the conversation. I talked a little bit in the last segment about what's coming up at Road Atlanta this weekend, but let's talk more about Ganassi's options, Jimmy Johnson, we're going to get to the double and Kyle Busch in, in just a little bit. What other options could we see for Ganassi in a fourth car? And then eventually we'll trickle over to Dale Coin Racing and how that impacts them. Well, it was interesting that uh, that you brought up Linus Lundquist. I think we have have assumed he was going to be on the uh, Dale Coin side, and that, that may end up being how it shakes out. Uh, we have also... Uh, you know, talked about other drivers and you mentioned Ryan Hutter Ray as, as one that would be interesting. I think uh, Chip Ganassi would very much, you know, have confidence in, in Ryan Hutter Ray's abilities to steer that program and would be willing to, you know, set out the other races that Jimmy wanted to do. I think, I think uh, Ryan would be very amenable to that. The other one that, that popped up uh, today on a racer story that, that I had not considered is Stingray Rob. Uh, he had a second year with Indy Lights this year and basically had been thinking that Indy Lights in year three would be an option. Then he won a race, finished second the championship, finished second to a guy who dominated the series in Lundquist, and now says, no, my focus needs to be uh, the IndyCar series. And as I you know, started reading the article, I've not talked to Stingray myself uh, here lately, but as I started reading the article, I kept thinking, yeah, that's a that's a nice project to have, but I don't see the options until you think about Jimmy and needing a shared driver. It's going to take somebody in a very special or unique situation to be okay with with being that extra driver. Uh, it you know you're not going to get. Let me just throw one out there. He's already signed. But Renus VK, for example, he wants to be a full-time race car driver in the IndyCar series. Obviously, he is signed with with Ed Carpenter Racing. And you go to several of those kind of guys. You know, you think about, you know, somebody in Indy Lights moving up, uh, like Linus Lindquist or Stingway Rob. And then you think about somebody who's on the backside of their career who's a little more you know, okay with, with a partial schedule like Ryan Hunter, right. And I think those are the kind of people you're going to have to find, you know, a Connor Daly, when he shared the ride with Ed Carpenter, you know, I don't think there are just, there aren't many of those, what I would call regulars 
who are willing to have that type of arrangement at, at this point in their career. They're they're still on the way up, or they think they're at the level, and they need to continue to be so. But an Indy Lights guy, if Ganassi's willing, which is a whole other question, is Ganassi willing to run, you know, an Indy Lights driver in that in that forty eight car? Uh, you know, I don't think it would be Tony Kanaan running all the other races. That would be another one that fit in that category. I don't see Kanaan being, you know, running, let's say, 13 or 14 races in 2023. Well, I believe he said I'm not a candidate for yeah, running a lot I of agree. races. I, I think Tony could be talked into running all the oval races, although he's got a very busy Brazilian stock car schedule and is uh, potentially doing SRX again next year and a lot of things going on. Um, and I'll get back to Tony and how he comes into this a little bit as well, because if Jimmy runs, I'm sure Ganassi wants to run Kanan, who finished third last year. You know, you're looking, are they willing to do a fifth car, uh, especially if only three of them are full time? It's one thing to do one as a part time, but doing two part time gets to be a little bit more challenging. So I think it helps Tony's cause if the 48 is a full time uh, possibility as well. The other thing I'll throw out before I get into some other names is, so I saw a story about Justin Marks and how Trackhouse has had an interest. And I, I've said this on this show before. I remember Justin told me at Nashville in 2021, when he happened to be next to me on the track walk and I asked him about the Indy 500, he said, yeah, that's a definite goal for us. And I think we'll be there eventually. And I remember throwing that out last year over the winter, knowing his connection with Chip Ganassi might he be a bit of a commercial partner for the fifth entry for Tony Kanaan? Turns out they didn't happen. It was just a full Ganassi entry. But then you see some of the comments that Justin made that it's something along the lines of it needs to be special. And while I think Tony Kanaan is really special, um, you know, in the broader motorsports sense, it may take a Kyle Bush, a Kyle Larson or maybe a Jimmy Johnson doing the double that might be in the special category. So maybe Jimmy is the team track house driver. And I think Jimmy said he's had conversations with Justin and they're very close. And that would be one of his options to run some cup events in that project 91 car, which is in some ways deemed for international drivers. But I think a Jimmy Johnson would also fit the bill there. So I, I would maybe keep an eye on that. That might be a way for Ganassi to run a fifth car. Uh, maybe you get some of the, so you got to find the people. That's a big part of it too. So back to Stingray Rob and other options for a 48, you're right. Indy lights drivers would be ones that would be very interested in a partial program like a Matthew Brabham, who's done a couple of Indy car races before. What about recent champions like Oliver Askew? Uh, he's tested in the Ganassi sports car program before, I think he's still pretty well regarded. Would I say that's super likely? Probably not, but it's one that I couldn't dismiss. What about Santino Ferrucci? I don't know what they think about him, but that's a guy. If, if Santino was offered nine, 10 races in a, in a Ganassi car, he's going to take that. Even if it doesn't include the Indy 500. So there, there are a lot of possibilities there in that category for Stingray. So back to his, so I've talked with him all summer about what his options were, and that's what he's told me. We're thinking about lights. We're thinking about IndyCar. And he said, we've had decent conversations. And I talked with him at the banquet, and it did sound like he was more focused on IndyCar. And I, I think I tend to agree. Could he 
be helped with another year of development? Probably. Everybody can. But to his point, he finished second in the championship, and he won a race. So his stock is close. Yes, if you won the championship, that's even better. But now when you see that the scholarship is half of what it used to be, that maybe impacts your decision a little bit. It's not $1.2 million, or at least it's not this year. It's $500,000. So I think that plays into that. And the other part of it is, let's think financially. It's about $1.5 million to run for Andretti and Indy Lights. I've got that on several sources from dads, managers, drivers. Maybe they do deals for somebody, and it's not always that case, but that's full price for a top Indy Lights program. If he's got a million and a half, I think he could take that that money and he could run a partial program, or he's close to already running the road courses with Ed Carpenter, right? So let's forget about Ganassi for a moment because I think some others are more likely. Junkos, where he won a championship uh, in Pro Mazda. They're looking for a second driver. I don't know where their budget is, but say it's two and a half or three million. That's getting in the ballpark where you can do, if not a full IndyCar season, you can do pretty close to a full IndyCar season. Would that be enough if they, if you test well to run the second Foyt car? Uh, Benjamin Peterson is going to be announced in one of the cars, I think, soon. That's not been announced unless something has fallen astray. That's what we expect. And I don't know if Dalton Kellett is returning in the other car. I didn't get a chance to ask Dalton about that, but there's enough smoke coming around there that both sides may be saying, let's evaluate here. Uh, you know, and, and Dalton and his backing may be saying, let's see what other options are out there for us at this point. So I would put that very much in the TBD department uh what if there is a seat available at dale coin racing and henry malukas is not willing to fund 100 percent of linus lundquist's program he's got a half a million dollars maybe a little bit of backing but not a whole lot maybe it's a combination of linus lundquist and stingray rob or maybe it's split with takuma sato if ganassi doesn't run a fourth car and there becomes an extra engine lease to go over to dale coin we don't know if Sato has full backing. So th- I think there are a lot of scenarios there, but I'd, I'd keep an eye on Hunkos, Foyt, Carpenter, Coin, all. So now I see, uh, this is where Stingray Rob is saying there are a lot of the possibilities and discussion points out there right now. Yeah, he apparently said there were three. And so I think you've just named four. Ganassi, if you included in the discussion, which I, I'm not sure that that – I don't have a lot of confidence in saying that uh, Ganassi would run an Indy Lights guy in that car, but he might. I think they're probably looking for someone someone with more experience or a lot more budget. I think there's always a number that can convince someone to put you in that car, and maybe they have that kind of funding. I don't know what their their sponsorship package is. If they've got a full 7 or $8 million, then that's in play and every seat's in play and he'll have the seat of his choice. You know, he'll, he'll go where he wants to go at, at that point. But I think the uh, racer article mentioned that he's doing a test on the 12th. If I had to guess, I'm going to say that's Hunkos because I noticed, um, I, I noticed that uh, I think Ricardo Hunkos retweeted 
Augustine Canapino, is that his name? He's an Argentinian driver of success down there that I've heard his name mentioned for a while. And they tweeted uh, the steering wheel. You know, he's at the shop getting a seat fit. And if you look closely at that steering wheel, there's a track map on that steering wheel. What track is that? It's (laughs) Sebring. So they're going to Sebring really soon. So maybe that's at the same time. You like to to test multiple drivers at the same time. That's just a guess. Maybe he's going there with Foyt, um, Ed Carpenter, who knows. But uh, I would think that that would make some sense for them. So that's fun stuff. The only thing I would say about the Ed Carpenter seed is, you know, there's a pretty good chance that Beth Peretta would be in play there. Uh, Mm -hmm. At least it, it stands to reason for some races, and she's been trying to expand the program. So there could be some races there, but I don't think you would pencil in someone else for all of the other races that Ed doesn't do. And that could still work out because, again, I don't know what their budget level is. Uh, If it's in the million and a half range like they have for Indy Lights, that might work out perfectly. That way, Ed Carpenter can run a a full-time third car, potentially get leader circle money for that car. Just like I talked about with Jimmy Johnson. It's in Jimmy's best interest for the 48 to run full-time for the Indy 500. It's in Ed Carpenter's best interest to have his car running full-time so he has a full-time crew. It gives him a better chance of hiring good people to run that extra car if it's running all season. So maybe it's Ed for the oval races. Maybe it's Simona for a half a dozen, and it's Stingray Rob or someone else, Linus Lundquist, someone else for the rest of the races. That scenario, I think, also helps for Linus Lundquist, too. Uh, And I don't know that the scholarship, it used to say, if you want the scholarship money, you must field the driver in the Indy 500, at least give them a chance to qualify. I don't know if that provision is still there, because that's when it was over a million dollars. And I, I cannot imagine that it's still there because the scholarship is not enough for the Indy 500. You got You can find a ride for five hundred thousand. Uh, obviously, you can find a ride for free and get paid for it if you're talented enough. But generally speaking, if you're just paying for a good Indy five hundred ride, you're talking eight hundred thousand minimum to up to one point five million for for the Indy five hundred. So I would think the scholarship could work for Linus Lundquist doing five races not including the Indy 500. And then maybe you find the budget to do the Indy 500. It's easier to find sponsors for the Indy 500 than it is for the other races. I like, I like your Hunko's plan. Uh, I, you know, depend, they're going to need budget for that second car. Uh, so, you know, how Unless much they can is, talk Brad Hollinger into it, which well, you never that's, know. That's true. Um, so I think one of those, one of the two lights guys probably ends up there. Uh, I say I say that I say there's that a lot and I don't of F two guys and there's there are there's a lot of Canapino and the, I think there are seven or eight possibilities. There are people that we are not familiar with. Um, Agreed. What is his name? Marcus Armstrong. I hear there are two teams bidding for the F two driver from New Zealand, who I think has won a race, maybe last year, uh, in. I think he's won a race in Formula 2. I can't remember if it's this year or last year. He's not exactly high up in the championship, but I think he's got budget behind him. I heard him kind of tip for one team. Now I'm hearing another team. So you're going to see some other names pop up that we're not familiar with and and be surprised a little bit. So silly season is still going to be very fluid as we move forward. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, I can talk myself in and out of several scenarios, as I just did uh, in that last uh, sentence about um, the two Indy Lights guys relative to Hunkos. I think I think you could consider them for for that, but uh, there will be others in play. I wanted to mention too that uh, according to reports from TSO Ladder, Jamie Chadwick had a, a very successful Indy Lights test at Sebring last week with Andretti Autosport. It's hard to get a, a sense. She was there by herself. So the track always changes there, but she ran 126 laps and they felt like the pace was similar to what it would be if there were no other cars and no rubber on track. So uh, good for her. She is well thought of and, and a multi-time W Series champion. So we'll keep an eye on that. I should probably um, explain. So I mentioned that the light scholarship is different and that's been a point of confusion within the paddock and within the industry nathan brown of the indianapolis star kind of tweeted out i've been hearing this for a little while and he got it on the record and wrote a story and i think racer wrote a story about this as well so here are the nuts and bolts of it uh linus lundquist this year's champ received a five hundred thousand dollar check from penske entertainment a year ago it was 1.2 million for kyle kirkwood that was combined from Penske Entertainment, IndyCar, and Anderson Promotions. Big drop. Well, one, remember, Anderson Promotions didn't operate Indy Lights anymore, so they're not going to be in involved in that. Uh, also, as noted, there was about $700,000 spent from Penske Entertainment and given out in prize money, which we've talked about. It was $20,000 for a win and even $5,000 down to fourth place. So Linus Lundquist and or his team picked up about $200,000 in prize money. Now, that probably didn't go to the driver. It depends on what the contract was, and that would have been ironed out before. I know in the two driver contracts I have uh, negotiated and signed, half the prize money went to my driver, but that was also with the team understanding there's no prize money. <laughs> you know, it's $1,000 or something like that if you win the poll for USF 2000. So no one's worried about that and no one's going to argue about it for big money like this. Unless the driver was paying full freight, one and a half million dollars. My guess is the team was keeping most of that. Uh, but that's something that would have been uh, ironed out beforehand. Um, I think maybe something else to, to remember too, is that Penske entertainment has probably spent about $2 million on Ernie Francis and Miles Rowe over the last year and a half or so. And, and those are drivers in the road to Indy ladder. Ernie with the, the road uh, force Indy team in Indy lights and, and Miles Rowe did two seasons of USF 2000 with frankly, a decent amount of crash damage that added up to some costs as well. So does that change everything? But it's just kind of understanding the full picture of how that um, plays out. In a perfect world, it is what it was, but it's always easy to spend someone else's money. And I'm sure they're efforting on, you know, in a great sense, you're hoping you can get Firestone on board or an engine manufacturer to give out a free lease, free tire bill, something like that. Um, I think Linus has still got a chance. And his best chance is probably with Dale Coin Racing. That's why this Jimmy Johnson situation matters. Whether, and, and this part of it is Honda apparently doesn't want to add any more engine leases. It's the last year of the engine. So spending more money on it. And as I understand it, Honda and Chevy both lose a decent amount of money with every 
engine entry that they supply. That's just the nature of the business. They're only allowed to charge so much. It's kind of seen as a marketing expense. So they prefer to stay where they're at right now. Um, so coin could get a third engine lease if Ganassi relinquishes one, or if Takuma Sato is not back full-time, then there could be an opportunity in a second seat for Linus Lundqvist. So that's where it all gets really confusing and why we have to stand by. So you're telling me there's a chance. There's there's a chance. So that's where that stands at this point. Um, when we come back, we'll get into some of the other nuggets that I think we've missed, and we'll reset and get to some of your Twitter questions before we're done. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Still much to cover, and we'll get into some Twitter questions before we're done tonight. Um, we talked about the double with Jimmy Johnson. Seems like a, a real possibility at this point. By the way, on that front, um, I think Nathan Brown on the call this morning asked him, you know, you're worried about being able to get done what you need to get done and, and be competitive if you're splitting your attention. And I think Jimmy had a, a good point to that in that, and maybe this applies more to the NASCAR side, there's a lot less required of a NASCAR driver now than there used to be. The COVID kind of taught the industry that, oh, we don't really have to have this much, much, much practice and we can save everybody a lot of money. So there's not as much time he needs to be in Charlotte, especially if he's not doing the all-star race and things along with that. And he feels like he'd be fine doing that, but he might have company. Maybe they can kind of share a charter together back and forth. You know, I said last week that while I think there's a real chance for Kyle Busch, I wouldn't say to lock it in right now because it's still got to happen. Well, it sounds like it's getting a little bit closer to happening. Yeah, Jenna Fryer tweeted out a little. First, they started off with some photos of some different things that were interesting. The Menard store photograph, the Kyle Busch <laughs> photograph. I think a Zach Brown photograph, I don't know, maybe even Alex Pelot, who knows. But, um, you know, it does look like uh, there's a chance Menards could be the backer of this. John Menard likes special things at the Indy 500. This is, you know, I don't know if it's the definition of who John Menard is, but it's certainly the definition of Zach Brown doing something really kind of outrageous and having Kyle Busch in the car. So I think putting those three together uh, I think has all the special markings that uh, that these parties would like. Obviously, the Aero McLaren SP cars ran really well in 2022 at the Speedway, finishing second and fourth. Uh, Zach Brown would would have a budget to bring to Kyle Busch, and Menards would would play a very significant role and help fund that. So, uh, the only thing that probably doesn't fit is is John John Menards' colors are are very neon and very bright, and that doesn't exactly fit with the color scheme that Aero McLaren SP has brought to the table, but I think they could work around that. Yeah, I think money will change your uh, willingness to uh, alter the livery a little bit. And remember, the Felix Rosenquist car the last couple of years has not been a traditional-looking car. It still had orange involved and black involved in it, but um, it was different. And maybe I'm thinking more of two years ago. Last year... I think they all shared a little bit 
of a of a bit of the same piece and the left side on one car was the same as the right side on another and it was a puzzle and we had to have spotter charts to determine which car was which car as the month started now what this would mean is there would not be room for Juan Pablo Montoya and there may not be room for Juan Pablo Montoya anyway they're already at three cars I know they'd be willing to go to a fourth you know, Juan Pablo, I remember that conversation I had with him last year on Peacock, and he seemed pretty ambivalent to whether he was doing the Indy 500 anymore. And it was like, yeah, might as well. It is what it is. If they want me to, I'll do it. But he's probably fine with it at this point. If he really does want to do it, there might be someone else interested in hiring Juan Pablo Montoya because he's still proven that he's quite capable. So that's interesting from that standpoint. And, you know, maybe we spend some more time on on the open seats. I, I touched on it a little bit, so I think there's still more to be determined on that front, and we'll learn more in the next little bit. But the silly season applies to management and crew members as much as anything. Last week on the show, we talked about the surprise of Taylor Kyle, the team president of Errol McLaren SP, uh, announcing he was moving on. And we quickly went through that, all right, it makes sense that Taylor – either knows he's going to get an offer or has another offer somewhere else. And that does appear to be the fact. And I remember saying, boy, I I don't know, but I'd be surprised if he's going to Chip Ganassi Racing. There have been reports that say he's going to Chip Ganassi Racing. So I might be wrong on that one, but I'm still not sure about that. I don't know if other people are just trying to put that combination with his stepfather, Mike Hall, and saying that's where he's going to end up. Racer.com and Marshall Pruitt did get Mike on the record saying, I'm not retiring. We're not restructuring our management at this point. And I don't know if that's how it was worded, but at this point kind of gives you some cover to say, well, we're not restructuring today, but we are going to restructure in three months when this becomes official and is non-compete clear. So I don't know where he's going, but all I know is he's going, he either has or is going to have a very good job in the near future. I just think Chip Ganassi, you know, has been watching Taylor, and, you know, it didn't even take Mike Hall bringing it up for Chip to be interested in the services of somebody as talented and as uh, calm. And, you know, he, he just kind of fits the Mike Hall, you know, approach. And and there's obviously a reason for that. It's his stepson. But, you know, I think uh, those two would work really well together. Uh, whether Mike's leaving in three years or five years or next year, I think there's there's a place for good people. I think uh, one of the things that I've learned from watching Roger Penske is is you could ever have enough good people. Yeah. And yeah. and so I think that's the way Chip thinks, too. And, you know, you bring in somebody and, and maybe the role he takes on in the next two years is not the role that he eventually has. But he's a young man. He's a young man in this sport and he's already proven himself. And honestly, you know, there are a lot of good uh, team managers and, and engineers in this paddock, but there aren't very many people who have shown the the, the ability to navigate the paddock and a big race team the way Taylor has. And I just think I think think that's what Chip wants. Think about the experience he's gathered in the last three or four years with a team that has many, many owners and many people, and he's the one that's kind of in the middle of all of that. Uh, he's gone through crisis management in uh, every facet. So, you know, I think my thought last week was, well, that's too easy. That's the obvious one. 
Uh, and he's probably going to end up somewhere else. But now the more I think about it, so when Taylor makes this decision that he's ready to see if the grass is greener somewhere else, you know he's going to confer with Mike Hall and say, hey, Mike, uh, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? So this is the first team that knows that he's on the market or is potentially on the market. So that's making more sense that, you know, he probably says, hey, Chip, uh, if you want to make a move, this talent is going to be available. Because I do think that if he gets on the open market, every single team can say, you know, either we're expanding, we'll find a place for someone of his caliber in whatever role. Maybe not every team, but many teams. So that would make some sense because they were going to be the first one that had an opportunity to sign him up. And that makes it a lot easier to quit a job. If you know, you've got a job somewhere else down the road, you may not be able to confirm it for a certain amount of time, but you trust the people that are making the offer that it's going to be there when, when the time comes. So Chip Gadassi's also proven to have pretty good lockdown contracts too. So we know that, uh, <laughs> If uh, he signed something with Taylor, that it would probably hold up. But uh, no, the other point I would make, though, is I think they're, I mean, I, I'm, maybe I'm giving Taylor too much credit. I don't think so. But I think there would be a limited number of teams. Uh, well, we've only got 10 or 11 anyway, but and one of them is Errol McLaren. He's not going there, is the number of teams that could afford him or would be willing to add a, you know, a personnel you know, this is not going to be a, a cheap hire, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, I think you can rule out some teams that would invest the money because they already have what they think are good people in that spot. Yeah. Well, I think there's at least a couple out there that oh, would there say. there are a couple, but it's not we, the whole field. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, now, Aaron McLaren has already made one move that was kind of coincidental. So Brian Barnhart, uh, is going to work for Errol McLaren, but I think this was already happening before Taylor left. Uh, I did not get a chance to to talk to Brian at Laguna Seca, uh, but someone told me he had three offers, you know, right there to go work for somebody and, you know, whatever role. It could have been a similar role to what he was in as a, a strategist. I don't believe he was really full-time at Andretti Autosport. He was working on weekends. I could be wrong on that, but I think he was serving more as a strategist. So that might have been the first idea. They're adding a car, so they're going to need to have a strategist, and he could just continue working with Alexander Rossi. I believe that Alexander is happy with Brian this year. Uh, I know I know a lot of people think very highly, drivers, the people that matter, people in the sport think very highly of Brian as a strategist. They also think very highly of him as a team manager type. He's seen and done it all. So it probably started from that standpoint, and that's why it's been said it's now a bit of an undefined role. So he might be the best option for them to take over Taylor's full responsibilities. Maybe it's split up a little bit between Brian and Billy Vincent. And, you know, I still think they're probably going to take a run and everybody else is checking the contracts of their team managers now because Zach Brown is going to be taking a run at their employees at this point to to replace Taylor Kyle. So that's why it's silly season in management, crew members, engineers, everyone's hiring right now. Everyone's looking for more quality. Yep. Yep. I think that's a good move for Brian. I think it's a good move for Alexander Rossi. 
as he moves, you know, to a new organization, obviously he's got the talent to, uh, to make that adjustment, but having a familiar, you know, voice in his ear or just a communication that works for him would be an important step. He's not going to someone new with who has different thoughts and, and, um, so I think that's I think Rossi probably had a lot to say about it. I bet it was Rossi who first said, if we're going to do this, what do you think about having Brian as my strategist? He probably threw that out there in the first conversation. Yep. All right. A few more Twitter questions. Uh, I've had several on this front from over the weekend with NASCAR at Texas. Chad Bunch was one. So NASCAR puts down Rosin and still no one runs the top. Texas is in trouble, right? I think I saw Jeff Gluck's Twitter poll where he has people rate the race. And this was the lowest rated race of the season. Something like 13% of the people said it was a good race. So this is where Texas is at right now. The IndyCar people uh, think the track has been ruined. Now the NASCAR people think the track has been ruined. So I'm getting a lot of questions. Are they doing something to the track? I don't believe they've announced anything, but I would say the chances are high to quite high. When NASCAR is not happy with the show, that's your bread and butter. You better fix it. It actually was one of IndyCar's best races of the year, as it turned out. It was a very entertaining race. So, mm-hmm. but I agree. If NASCAR is speaking, then uh, then the change is in the in the offing. And what's that going to be? I have no idea. I don't know if they're going to put it back the way it was, do something extreme like what Fontana is talking about doing and making a two mile track. Uh, what are they talking like a half mile? or something like that, a super short track. So we shall see. And then how long would that take to do that? Um, And that's another one we didn't get into that wasn't really disclosed today. What's the agreement between IndyCar and SMI and Texas Motor Speedway? It was said on the record by Roger Penske in the spring that they're going to have to do something different. You know, either we're going to come in and co-promote it or they're going to have to make a commitment to promote it or not, uh, or promote it better and more than they have been. So that's one thing that I do not know is what is the business arrangement between IndyCar and Texas Motor Speedway? Is this a multi-year agreement? If they do decide to redo the track, what's the time frame that that can be done? Could they start on this next week and be done by late March? I don't know. Depends on how massive you're doing. If it's just a repave, yes. If it's totally tearing up the track and starting over, I think you might be looking at something different. So then, and and if we knew the length of the contract, that might tell us. If IndyCar is a one-year deal, that might tell us that, all right, they're going to redo that track starting in the fall of 23. IndyCar is not coming back in 24 or at least not at that time, and then it will be revisited in 25. Agreed. We don't know the answer to the question, so it's it's difficult to speculate on it. But uh, I think we'll, you know, at some point that information will be asked of Roger Penske, and I think he'll probably give you some indication, although it may not be the complete answer that we seek. You know, as much as you, somebody might say, well, IndyCar should just do the Iowa method and take it over. I don't know that I would advise that. Uh, Iowa, you did somewhat because you had to. The the track was basically dormant. That was the only way you could make that race work is to just simply take it over and do it the way you want to. I think it also helps that 
you know, you can send your people back and forth and drive. It's not a great drive, but it's what, a six-hour drive, something like that. So, it, you know, a lot of the people were doing it were spending the week in Des Moines and then driving back to Indianapolis on Friday, and you can avoid getting on airplanes. That's not an option with Dallas-Fort Worth, and I also think that has to be a lot more complicated market and a massive market to make any kind of a dent in promotions. You need the power and the reach and the experience of the staff at Texas Motor Speedway to make that work. So ideally, I'm sure it's, let's combine our efforts here a little bit. Let's see, what can we do to help you? What can you do to help us so we all are happy? Yeah, big difference, and we've talked about this, and you just hit on it. Texas Motor Speedway has a staff. Iowa Speedway effectively did not. Yeah. So there was a a void that could be filled uh, by outsiders, if you will, and you're right. It it took a, a lot of of time from from people. Foremost was was uh, a woman by the name of Ann Fishgrund, who many of you have started to hear more about. But she's excellent within our company and and spearheaded the efforts on the IndyCar side at Iowa Speedway. And I've joked with Ann; she doesn't answer, but I've joked with her. Are you ready to go to Milwaukee? Uh, because that template is what you're going to be thinking about with Milwaukee as well. And I know people wanted to see a race there this year. All the conversations I had heard was that was more of a long-term thing. I think the only way it ended up on the schedule this year is if Texas was untenable and they felt like they had to have another oval race. But even then, it doesn't fit in the schedule. You'd like to do something in the spring, and Milwaukee is not going to work on April 2nd. So you've got to do something in the summertime. I don't feel like Milwaukee is a lock for 24, but I feel like it's got a decent chance. I think it helps that there's a truck race there this year. So maybe you could combine with a truck race on a date to to make it a better weekend in 24. And it gives you a little bit of time to run with that. And with that, we're always interested in other potential venues. We've just got the 23 schedule out and we're already talking about 24. Marshall Pruitt wrote something on racer.com this afternoon. Now, he has written before that IndyCar would like to move to 19 to 20 races per season in an incremental fashion, adding one new event in 24, 25, and 26. I still have not asked someone to see whether that is likely or not. From everything I've heard Roger Penske say, it's we're at the number we're at. And as far as I know, he's the guy that that signs off on those decisions. Now, that said, if they found promoters that were willing to pay a million and a half, for these events, like Laguna Seca is doing, I think they would extend the schedule. But I, I would just throw out there my opinion, and Marshall has done the, the digging on this, so his sourcing is more complete on this. And I'm hoping this is true as well, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, 20, I think, is still going to be a reach in the next few years. I do think you, you have a, a real chance of adding one more than that, I don't know. I think what this might possibly do is create a little competition amongst your current promoters that, eh, this is what we're going to stay at. So if you want to be involved, Texas Motor Speedway, you're going to have to step up your promotional efforts or play ball with this in some other fashion. But the point being, we'd all love to see more races and we're interested in what venues would be possibilities. And Marshall writes about a return to the Milwaukee Mile. Um, a trip to Mexico on one of its road courses, and another uh, undisclosed track out west. He writes, 
Having confirmed that the proposed Pittsburgh Street race sits idle, the last new option sits on the other side of the country. Racer has learned the series is in contact with unspecified road course out west that is under consideration for hosting IndyCar races in the near future. More details on the track are expected to be revealed in the near future. I don't know if thermal in uh, the Palm Springs area could do a race. I think some things need to happen before that is a possibility. Um, that's where I think the spring training test is going to be next year. But I don't know about a race for that. I'm not sure. Having confirmed that the proposed Pittsburgh Street race sits idle. What does that mean? That that's it's just not a, a thing? I think that the is conf- that what he's trying to say there? It, it's a conflict by saying it's confirmed, but it's idle. So, and that never was a thing. It was simply an idea by Graham Rahal. And Graham, you know, when there was a story written a few weeks ago, say, "Hey, I'm not wanting to get in the promoting business. I'm just saying, if someone wants to start a business venture, I think this is a market that could work, and you potentially could find some partners that would be interested in that." So. I don't think anything's changed on that front. If PNC Bank wants to get behind that, uh, like Hy-V has done, you know there there could be a possibility there. Mark Miles mentioned Denver in a Sports Business Journal conversation recently, and we wondered about that. And that's mentioned in this article as well that there's been some conversations about bringing back a street race there, um, but it's only in the formative stages. Richmond is mentioned, and I've thrown out Richmond a lot before. It was supposed to be on the schedule in 20, and COVID and the lack of a title sponsor helped take that away. I've wondered if that could be a possibility down the road. So that's all good stuff. It's all fun stuff, and hopefully uh, there are more options as we move forward. All right, we'll see what we missed. We'll get to some late tweets and more coming up. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, final segment. Not a lot of time here, but you know what? We have another two hours next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Racing this weekend, we hope, weather permitting, at uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Noon, NBC on Saturday afternoon until 3. It's Peacock all day and then back on USA from 7 until 10.30. And you never know if it's raining at Talladega. We might see some coverage on USA throughout the afternoon. Uh, NASCAR Cup races are on NBC for the final six races of the season. So that's coming up Sunday afternoon. Uh, And otherwise, we'll sort out who's going to be in what seat, some more schedule conversations, and other stuff coming up next Tuesday night. For Kurt Cavan, Josh Molinix, I'm Kevin Lee. Thanks for joining us. Podcast up in a little bit. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.